Hello, friends. We have something a little different for you today. While I'm away from the studio, it's an episode of our shorter podcast, Hashtag STRask, where Amy and I respond to questions sent to us through Twitter. And if you like this show, we hope you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here's Hashtag STRask. I'm Amy Hall. I'm here with Greg Kokel, and you're listening to Stand to Reasons, hashtag STRask podcast. Welcome, Greg, and welcome, listeners. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. All right, here is a question. It's kind of unusual. I don't think we've had this question before. This one comes from Chris Brooks. What would you say to a Wiccan who says her beliefs are proved by the efficacy of her spells? Of the efficacy of or effectiveness of her what? Her spells. Oh, all that proves is that there's a supernatural. I agree entirely. If she says, I can do supernatural things, fine. So, okay, that proves that there's some supernatural element. It's not a myth. Now, there are probably people that are telling her, oh, that's just a bunch of Oh, I was going to say hocus pocus, but that would be kind of a bad pun. But um, that's just a bunch of that kind of hocus pocus, right? Um, nonsense. And she says, no, it's not nonsense. There is real power here because I can cast real spells on people. So my response would be, I'm not a bit surprised. Of course, there is a supernatural world and people can traffic in that supernatural world. Um, Satan, I'm sorry, Jesus trafficked in that world, and so did others, but not empowered by God, empowered by demonic powers. And this was clear to Jesus. Now, the question is, which one is the right one and which one is most powerful? Jesus cast demons out virtually instantaneously with a word based on his own authority, not based on magical incantations or spells. What this tells us is if you're going to traffic in the supernatural world, then uh, be careful how you choose your sides. Um, because it, look at Satan is not going to judge me. I'm not going to stand before him or the devil, or whatever Wiccan power she thinks she's in touch with, to give an account for my life. But she is going to stand before the Lord Jesus. Okay, now that is a, a very straightforward, inelegant way of clarifying the playing field here. Um, I'm just thinking how I would maneuver, and I, I certainly would start with the same entry. Yes, of course you can do powers of supernatural. Absolutely. I have no problem with that at all. That is, I don't, don't disagree at all. No, I think that would surprise her. All that means is the powers you're in touch with are real. It does not mean that there is no vulnerability, no danger for you. Jesus did the same thing in the sense of worked miraculous things. Now what? All right? So so why would you think—now, here's the question. Why would you think 
that the 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 side that the the the, the, the power that you're siding with is safe in the long run. And I, 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 there's a question, and I'd like to hear what she has to say. Now, in this situation, I'll just tell you my instinct. Um, this is one of those circumstances, I think, where I would speak very directly. I'm not going to kind of him and haw and move around with a dozen different questions to try to, because we are talking here about a dark spiritual reality. We acknowledge the reality, and then we acknowledge, frankly, the darkness and danger. That would be my approach. You have no idea what you're messing with. Mm -hmm. What you are messing with does not care about you. And sooner or later, you're going to find that out. I'll tell you who cares about you, Jesus. And only Jesus is capable of protecting you from these malevolent forces. And unless you're willing to say no to them and yes to Jesus, you are, co- you are going to be enslaved forever. That's a really good answer, Greg. I think people are after power. They're after what works. They're after ways to manipulate the world around them, and they aren't thinking in terms of what is good, and sometimes they're not even thinking of what in terms of what is true, but just what works. So I really like your answer. I I had an interesting experience. The place where I used to work, there was a woman there who used to train people how to contact their quote angels, and so she wanted to. Ironically, she wanted to teach a Wiccan since this is a story about a Wiccan. This is actually about a Wiccan being deceived further by something else. But my friend who was Wiccan uh, wanted this other friend who teaches people how to contact their angels to teach her how to do it. And I tried to convince my Wiccan friend, please don't do this. You, You don't want to mess with this. Just stay away from it. But she went ahead with it. The weekend goes by. Monday comes back. And the Wiccan is talking to the woman who taught her to reach her angels and says, oh, thank you so much. You, before I was just, it's like I was crawling and now I'm walking. Thank you for teaching me how to do this. And then she just flips on a dime and starts telling this story saying, I had this, not connecting the two together. Uh huh. <laughs> she says, you know, it was really strange, but I had this dream last night where there were these fires starting all over my room and there was this darkness in my room. And when I woke up, the darkness was still there. And I said, hello. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you don't mess with these things. But then the other woman said, oh, no, it's it's a good thing. Fires are a good thing. And I just, you know, the evidence is there and people just deceive themselves. They they want the power they want. Things that work, mm-hmm. and they are blind to the to the darkness of it all. So I I think your answer is really helpful, Greg. Mm-hmm. Plus the 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 one who experienced the dream with the fire and the wickedness and the darkness and whatever that bothered her, she knows existentially it wasn't good. In other words, yes. I woke up and it felt really bad. 
this is bad. I've had dreams personally where uh, I've I've had in my dream. I'm not saying that this was a ver- veridical actual experience, but in my in my dream. Uh, where I encountered demonic forces, and I had to address them in my dream, okay? And I'm telling you the feeling of encountering real darkness, or sometimes it wasn't even um, a demonic force, but it was some very dark feeling of falling into a pit, for example. And, uh, and that feeling was so overwhelmingly dark and evil um, I think that if a person like you just described is also having that feeling about this kind of encounter in light of her exposure, then this is something that you know we can use. You know, oh, well, your friend is telling you this is just all fine and good. You know better. Mm-hmm. You were there. And by the way, this isn't just the beginning. You've just opened the door. All right. Mm -hmm. And you might have some really nice things happen, but these are forces and powers of darkness. And that is why you experience subjectively, existentially, the darkness characteristic of them. Mm -hmm. And they sometimes come in as an angel of light, like our dear friend here. You know, and frankly, and if I was in this conversation, I wouldn't even I wouldn't balk at making that comment. I'm not condescending. I'm not being nasty, nasty, harshy, but I'm just harsh, or I'm just simply saying, like our friend here, your friend right here, Martha, hi, Martha, is an angel of light that is leading into darkness that Paul and Jesus warned of. I'm just saying. I'd be really interested to ask this Wiccan who's claiming uh, her beliefs are proved if she's had any dark experiences or she knows anyone who's had any dark experiences, I, that might be a really good way to lead into this conversation because it might be she's not connecting the two together. Who knows? That's true. Uh, another thought, too, in parting here for Chris is that um, a warning for her friend uh, because eventually things are going to get out of hand. I think this is this is going to be the case. And to let her know there is only one rescuer, one rescuer, and that is the Lord Jesus. When you are in the toughest spot, when the darkness is overwhelming you, this is when, if you cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't just say Jesus. There's no magic in a name. It's not an incantation. There's an event in the book of Acts that talks about this. I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Nothing magical. The demon jumped out and beat the heck out of the, all of those people. You know, they ran away bleeding and, and naked. <laughs> One man against, what, seven. All right. In any event, it's not an incantation. It's a calling on the one, the only one, who can defeat the powers and has defeated the powers of darkness. And I do recall testimonies to that effect, people who are involved in the occult. And finally, when they were overwhelmed, they called out on Jesus, and he mm-hmm. rescued them. But uh, sweep, you don't, you, 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 got, you can't just sweep the house and leave it empty. You know, Jesus talked about this. The Holy Spirit has got to come to reside there. These, these guys are coming back. Mm-hmm. Here's a very closely related question, just in case you want to add anything to this, Greg. This one comes from Riker. 
How do we explain people that have had spiritual experiences outside of Christianity? For example, Muslims experiencing answered prayers, or people that have said they have encountered other deities while astral projecting, etc. Is it just Satan working to keep them away from Christ? Well, there is a kinship between these two, and I think when there is no question we live in a supernatural world. This is part of the Christian worldview. I spent some time describing this in uh, in the story of reality. I mean, in a certain sense, there are creatures under the bed, you know? We are afraid of that as kids. Well, there there is a certain truth to that. Things in the closet or whatever. We live in a dangerous, supernatural world. And, um, and so it should not be surprising that people have things that happen um, in 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 light of their complicity with either a false religion or some other kind of occultic practice that bear the marks of the supernatural. It should not surprise us at all. Now, when it comes to Allah and people getting answers to prayers from Allah, um, you know, this, by the way, this knife cuts both ways, and I'll qualify it in just a moment, but it's very simple. I mean, lots of prayers, I think, that are prayed are circumstances that would have taken place even without the prayer. So people can pray things, and then they happen, and they attribute them to the one who they think is answering the prayer. Now, the difference for us with Christians, I think, is that we have very, very strong evidential reasons to believe that there is a God who listens and who acts, all right, on a regular basis. And so we wouldn't be inclined then, as a result, to um, to characterize these um, answers to prayer as just accidents because we have good reason to believe there is a God who answers, all right? Um, but that might be one explanation. Some This is coincidental for some people. It isn't the case, I think, that God answers those prayers, uh, prayed to Allah, uh, and God, you know, intervenes and he answers the prayer as it was prayed to him. God, with with some modest qualification, God does not heed the prayers of non-believers. The Scripture ex- says this explicitly, and uh, the Book of Psalms, I think, is the way I most recently read it. Now, the exceptions are when that non-believer is genuinely seeking God, uh, and we see that in Cornelius in Acts chapter ten, but. As a rule, God is not interested, certainly in answering a prayer that Allah is going to get credit for answering. Forget about that. So I don't think that God is is involved in those things. But um, I think the other category, not just Allah, but um, some other supernatural things can happen, of course. And that goes back to the first question. We live in a supernatural world, and there are parties— that provide supernatural power to accomplish certain things. And Jesus is one of those in Jesus' name. And that would means like not just saying the name Jesus, and sorry for everybody who finishes their prayer with the magic words in Jesus' name. That is not what the Scripture means, all right? Um, it means to go in the person and the power and the authority of Jesus, whether you say in Jesus' name or not. And... Um, and this is why the those exorcists, Jewish exorcists, got themselves into big trouble with the demon, even though they invoked Jesus' name there in the book of Acts. But um, being organically connected to Jesus in virtue of faith in him and the new birth, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, 
uh, that is the protection for us. And uh, and the only protection, ultimately. And that, the, the forces of darkness will string people along, a little here, give it a little there, and, uh, you know, keeping them satisfied. But eventually, oftentimes, they overplay their hand. And that's when the darkness comes in and uh, things look different. They don't all look so cozy as they used to. So, uh, you know, be forewarned. God warns us of these things. Even if they, a person in the occult goes their whole life with all these great little supernatural things happening, nevertheless, they are still going to have to stand before the resurrected one, Jesus of Nazareth, in judgment. So let's uh, switch gears here. This question comes from Will. After hearing your parenting topic a few episodes ago, I was wondering what materials would you recommend to use in order to teach elementary-aged kids critical thinking skills? Well, there there are um, there is a book out, um, and I always cut a book. There's actually two written by the same author that focus simply on this. And my kids had it when they were in classical school. A lot of other homeschoolers use it. And it's called, I think it's called The Fallacy Detective is one of them. And <laughs> there's a big, like, Pluto-type dog on the cover with a, uh, <clears throat> with a uh, <clears throat> Sherlock Holmes hat on kind of thing. Now, that's looking at fallacies in particular. And then there's another book by the same author that covers more critical thinking or logical thinking or whatever. Now, but there, to me, there's a little bit of a li- liability with any book like that. I've never read a – well, since I became a Christian, I have benefited from some books. Uh, there's one that's called – what is the one we used to sell? Maybe we still do. It's uh, A Rule Book for Arguments? Yeah, there it is, A Rule Book for Arguments. And that's good too. It's, it's kind of ironic that they – it's written by a secular author and – he uses a bunch of bad religious arguments to illustrate his points, and sometimes I don't think he hits the mark. But nevertheless, there are there are um, there are good things in there that will help us. I actually think the Colombo tactic, foundationally, is the best is the best in a certain sense three step approach. And think of the three steps of the Colombo tactic. First, you ask, "What do you mean by that?" And what that means is you have to get. The point of view that you want to critique clearly in focus, without distortion. You want to see the thing itself in a very crisp way. So what is the claim that is being made? Secondly, what is the evidence that is being offered in favor of the claim? Now, knowing fallacies uh, allows you to get rid of a lot of the noise and the garbage and the junk and the foolishness that gets in the way of kind of seeing the issue clearly. And frankly, not only in the tactics book, but in a number of different things I've written about, I've talked about a plan. Here's when you get this challenge. Here's the plan. And it really amounts to the same thing. What exactly is the particular claim? Isolate the particular claim, even if there's a whole slew of them that you're getting hit with. Take one at a time, isolate it, then ask the reasons for it. And then see if it, that third step, see if it works. Do the reasons adequately support the idea? And um, that's a little bit more challenging, but at least there's a process there. You don't want to have a straw man. You get a clear picture of the view, and then you move from there. Now, if you're familiar with a handful of fallacies, and there are like over a 100, 
But if you know what a straw man is, you know what circular reasoning is, you know what the genetic fallacy is, or the psychogenic fallacy, they're related, um, you know what ad hominems are, well, that pretty much covers the bases for the kinds of things that people are going to run into for informal fallacies. That means these are fallacies that don't relate to the form of the argument. They relate to other things. They're not arguments at all. Oh, is that what you believe? You're stupid. Oh, gee, you persuaded me. That was a good argument. It's no argument. It's just an attack on the individual. Okay. Um, The Bible is God's word. How do you know? Because the Bible says it is. And, And God wouldn't lie. Well, that's a classic example of circular reasoning. It's a dumb thing for Christians to say. But there are other times we're accused of circularity, and there's no circularity. And there are other times where a circularity is present in an argument that is not easy to see. The God of the Gaps complaint against intelligent design is almost always circular because they presume materialism, and they object when you give a intelligent design argument based on the evidence— <clears throat> And they say, no, you can't do that. Why not? Because materialism is true. And we have a gap in materialistic explanations, and we'll fill that eventually. You're just doing God of the gaps. Well, what they're doing is assuming materialism is true to claim that there's a gap in the information. There's only a materialistic gap. And there's only a materialistic gap is because materialism can't solve that problem. But the evidence indicates that intelligent design does solve the problem. So there's a, a more sophisticated example of circular reasoning. But those four things, if kids could recognize those four things, um, I'm trying to think, Amy, maybe you can, uh, of, of another, another informal fallacy. And those are the most common that young people are going to run into. Circular reasoning, genetic fallacy— Ad hominem, and um, <laughs> the other one I mentioned. Uh, I'll come up with it in a minute. <laughs> no, I can't think of it either. What about red herring? Well, a red herring is very – that's a good one, but it's a very general one. There's a certain sense in all of these are red herrings. And mm-hmm. and picture a, a dog on a trail trying to get a criminal, right? He's sniffing his way along the trail. He's on the track. And then – he drags a red herring, which is a smelly fish, across the trail and takes it off into the woods and then doubles back and then moves out. But the fish, the herring scent distracts the dog from the real trail. So the red herring fallacy is anything that's a distraction from the real thing, okay? And that's even ad, hom- ad hominems, attacks on the person. Uh, circular reasoning, um, a genetic or psychogenic fallacy, and the <laughs> the other one I mentioned. <laughs> no, I can't think of it either. <laughs> well, people can double back here on the on the broadcast yeah. and and listen to it. But there, really, if you get those four four things, um, uh, they're they these are all mere distractions. And when you get those, you're going to be able to deal with 99.9% of the foolishness that you see in the culture right now insofar as it challenges Christianity. And I think even if you're not teaching your young children 
the names of these things. You can certainly teach them by example.、Mm-hmm. As you talk to them, if they make a claim, just as you interact with them, just challenge them to be more. Logical and see where they're going wrong in their thinking, and help them to be better thinkers. Then, when they learn the names for these things, it'll make sense to them because they've already learned to think this way and to evaluate other people's thinking this way. Yeah, and um, um, genetic fallacy is just faulting an idea based on its origin. Oh, you're not a man, so you can't say anything about whether it's okay to kill babies or not. No, they don't use that phrase, but this they're referring to abortion. That's like saying. Um, you're not a husband, so you can't object to me beating my wife. Well, that's silly, because the complaint here has is irrespective of anybody's sex. The source of the complaint is irrelevant to whether the complaint is sound or not. I'm still trying to get that fourth one I mentioned a few moments ago, but <laughs> but those four are the. <laughs> Man, I can listen back. <laughs> It's all right, Greg. The they can、ones. go back to the beginning and, and、yeah. listen again. All right, thank you, Chris and Riker and Will. Thanks for sending in your questions. If you have a question, send it on Twitter with the hashtag #strask or send it through our website with the hashtag #strask. We'd love to hear from you. Keep your questions short. They have to be tweet sized, which is 280 characters, and it's just a couple of sentences.、Amy. Looks like Greg might have thought of it. Straw ahead, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> Straw man is where you mischaracterize a person's view and then knock down the easily defeated straw man mischaracterization. All right, we just saved you all a bunch of time. You don't have to go back now. <laughs>、uh, <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we hope to hear from you soon. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason.